Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. สวัสดีครับ Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we study the teachings of the Buddha using this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment, Volume 1. We're in Chapter 8 today, which is titled Transforming the Three Poisons, Craving, Anger, and Ignorance. This is where you're going to go from your understanding of what's causing the difficulties in the unenlightened mind from what you learned in the Four Noble Truths as craving, desire, attachment, and now you're going to expand on that and go deeper into it. Understanding craving, anger, and ignorance, these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots or these three fires. Then what the Buddha does as he goes deeper and deeper into multiple layers to help you understand the problems and the solutions to implement in order to move to the enlightened mind, he goes even deeper than the three poisons called the 10 fetters. These are all things that you would need to learn in your journey to enlightenment. These are what's called a taint or a pollution, and these are causing certain challenges and certain difficulties in one's mind. So today, what I'm going to do is explain to you in a lot of detail what each one of these poisons are and how they manifest difficulties and challenges in your life and certain struggles that you encounter because of these poisons. And that way you can independently verify and see the truth that these poisons are indeed the truth and they exist in your mind. And then I'm going to help you to understand how to remedy them or provide the solutions to uproot these and get them out of the mind. And as you implement those solutions, that's where you'll actually see the benefits and the results where the mind will move closer and closer to this enlightened mental state where the brightness or the radiance will start shining through as you are able to then experience more peace, calm, serenity, and contentedness with joy. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining regularly. As we go in class, you'll have an opportunity to ask questions. I'll pause at different times and open up to any questions that you guys would like to ask. If you're in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put your questions into the comment section and our moderator will see that. If you are in Zoom, you have the added ability of electronically raising your hand and you can just open up your mic and ask your question directly and any follow-up questions as well. So thank you all for being here. I appreciate that you're interested in learning the teachings of the Buddha. Let's move into talking about the three poisons, just kind of what they are in a real general sense before we go into talking about them in a bit more detail. So to understand what they are, there's some people who refer to these as the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires. And depending on how they're being referred to, they might refer to the solutions a bit different. When we talk about them as the three poisons, we might say these are the antidotes 
Or if we say, you know, these are the three unwholesome roots, we might talk about the three wholesome roots as being the remedy or the solution. Or if we talk about the three fires, we might talk about extinguishing these fires. And these are the solutions or remedies that will extinguish these fires. They're also known as defilements, which is essentially a high level description of this pollution in the unenlightened mind. So you'll hear different people refer to these in different ways, but it's all referring to the same thing. And you'll even see people refer to them in different ways and kind of label them differently. Because remember, we're translating from the Pali language over into English. I tend to use craving, anger, and ignorance in referring to these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires. But some people might use greed, hatred, and delusion. And you might even hear some people refer to it as desire, ill will, or confusion or misunderstanding. Now, this craving, anger, and ignorance that we're going to talk about, this word ignorance, it tends to be a bit of a derogatory word nowadays. You know, a Buddha, an enlightened being, isn't going to talk in a derogatory way. They're not going to talk down to people. So this word ignorance, even though we're using that to translate, what I tend to use is the unknowing of true reality. Because when we talk about this particular poison, you'll understand why I call it that or this misunderstanding or confusion. Even though we're translating it into one word as ignorance, don't think of it as a Buddha or an enlightened being would talk in a derogatory way. They're going to be very positive and uplifting. They're not going to talk down to people. But when you're describing and understanding this particular poison, you'll see why it's referred to as ignorance or confusion or misunderstanding. It explains why the unenlightened mind is experiencing what it experiences and how it makes decisions through these certain poisons. And because of making decisions through these poisons or unwholesome roots or fires, it leads to unwholesome results. Because craving, anger, and ignorance are the unwholesome roots, they produce unwholesome results in our life or unwholesome gamma. Remember, gamma is cause and effect or action and result, the results of your decision. Next week, we're going to be going into gamma in a lot more detail in chapter nine. But for now, you can understand unwholesome gamma as unwholesome results, the results of your decisions that are unwholesome. So whenever one is making decisions through craving, anger, and ignorance, then there's going to be unwholesome results because there's unwise decisions. And with the unenlightened mind having these poisons in the mind, it's going to make decisions through these poisons, these unwholesome roots. So therefore, it's going to experience unwholesome results or unwholesome gamma. But by uprooting these, you can actually then experience this liberation and you can get to an unconditioned mind where these pollutions no longer exist in the mind. Therefore, you'll be making decisions through the wholesome roots, which we're going to talk about today. These three poisons provide this very clear description of what the problems are in the unenlightened mind and how by applying the antidotes, it's actually solving the problems. It's moving the mind closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. And there's different solutions that you understand at these different layers that I've talked about. So there's the Four Noble Truths, which is explaining the problem, the cause, the elimination, and the path forward. And you're getting kind of a window into the unenlightened mind. And the Buddha is really narrowing in on craving, desire, attachment, and helping you to understand that that's what's causing discontentedness. But when you go deeper into it, you pull the layers back and you start understanding the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires, you start understanding the broader context of what the real problem is, is in the unenlightened mind. And then there are certain solutions that you understand at that particular level as well that you then implement. 
But then when you go deeper into the 10 fetters, this is the most detailed description of what's actually plaguing the unenlightened mind. And these are called fetters because it's like a ball and chain around your ankle. It's like a shackle. Uh, if you can think of like during the slave times, if there was a shackle and a chain and a ball on that that was keeping you trapped into this life of being a slave it's the same thing that these 10 fetters are keeping you trapped in this cycle of rebirth in this unenlightened mind so when you go deeper into and beyond the three poisons you start opening up to understanding much deeper level of what's going on in the unenlightened mind and there there's solutions to implement at that level as well and by understanding all three of these levels, the Four Noble Truths, the Three Poisons, and the Ten Fetters, you get a full understanding of what's going on in the mind and then how to remedy that and how to fix it. Without understanding the problems, you wouldn't be able to implement the solutions. So by understanding the problems, which we're gonna be discussing today, with these three poisons, then you'll be able to see when those poisons are arising in the mind and they're causing complications in your life. With your mindfulness that you're developing and breathing mindfulness meditation, you'll be able to see when these poisons arise and then you'll know what the solution is and how to antidote it. So all of these 10 fetters, they bubble up to the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires. So these antidotes that you're going to learn about, they're often referred to as the three wholesome roots. And when decisions are made through these three wholesome roots, you're going to be experiencing wholesome results or wholesome karma. Now let's talk about the three poisons themselves in a kind of high level before we go into each one and talking about them each individually. And I'll open up the questions when we get to the end of this one before we go into each one individually. So craving, anger, and ignorance, or greed, hatred, and delusion are these three poisons, or these three unwholesome roots, or these three fires. This is what's masking your ability to experience this true nature of the awakened mind with wisdom and compassion. These poisonous states are motivating unskillful conduct, this non-virtuous behavior, these unwise decisions, and these unskillful intention, speech, and actions produce this unwholesome results. And as you transform and remedy or antidote these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires, that's where you'll experience this brightness and this radiance or this peace and joy of the enlightened mind. As long as the mind has this pollution in the mind, you're going to experience discontentedness and you're going to experience a lack of focus or concentration or clarity of mind. So you can uproot this poison and clear it out of the mind. And as you do, then your mind's going to experience more and more peacefulness and more and more joy. These three poisons are the conditions in the mind that are causing it to experience the difficulties and struggles. But when you train your mind and you purify the mind and you uproot these conditions out of the mind, now the mind is unconditioned. There's no conditions in the mind that are causing it to experience discontentedness. It'll be unconditioned or purified. And that's what the enlightened mind is experiencing. But there's certain tools and certain techniques that you need to learn in order to uproot this pollution out of the mind. And as you do, and you're getting more and more of this pollution out of the mind, that's where you see the results. So through this gradual training and gradual practice, you experience this gradual progress. And part of that training is understanding what the true problems are in the mind, what those remedies are, and then implementing those so that you can then see the results for yourself. 
So this first poison of craving, or some people refer to it as greed, this refers to the selfishness, the desire, the attachment, that craving, that longing, the yearning, the grasping for contentedness or satisfaction outside of yourself, that mental longing and strong eagerness, chasing after the objects of your affection, thinking that the next new shiny object waiting around the corner is going to provide some kind of lasting satisfaction. So the mind chases and chases and chases and chases. And if it gets what it wants, it gets pleasant feelings like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, things like that. If you don't get what you want, that craving is not fulfilled. You were chasing, 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 and then you don't get the objects of your affection then the mind moves to these painful feelings of anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, stress, anxiety, and other discontent feelings like this. So as long as the mind has this craving where it's longing and yearning, it's going to get shaken up. And oftentimes, as I mentioned, when you get the objects of your affection, you're going to get these pleasant feelings. And when you don't get what you want, the mind then moves to this anger or this hatred or this ill will, where there's this hostility or aggression, where the mind is bitter and harsh towards others. And then people might choose to leave your life because of that. So what tends to happen when the anger arises is the unenlightened mind falsely understands what the real problem is. The mind tends to think that you are making me angry or are you blaming other people? You know, this situation is annoying me or you are making me frustrated. So with aversion, the mind is uncomfortable with those painful feelings and it thinks that the way to solve it is to push this person out of your life. And the mind thinks that that's what's going to solve the problem. So it's repulsed. It repulses people in these unpleasant people and circumstances. It tries to push it away, thinking that that's going to solve the problem. But it doesn't because you just get angry or frustrated about something else. Or you will become bitter and harsh or aggressive or hostile towards somebody. And then they'll choose to leave out of your life. Or when you're experiencing those painful feelings, you might try to put your expectations on somebody or try to control that person and try to get them to do the things that you want them to do. And because of that, somebody feels pressured into doing what you want them to do. And then they also might choose to leave out of your life. So in this situation, as long as there's craving, there's going to be these discontent feelings. The mind's going to ultimately move to anger at some point and either push people away or going to be bitter and harsh and aggressive towards someone who chooses to leave, or you might try to put your expectations on someone like your partner, or your children, your coworkers, your friends, your family, and then they feel uncomfortable being around you because of these expectations that you're putting on them. And then the reason why all of this is occurring is because of the third poison or the third unwholesome root or this third fire called ignorance or delusion. This refers to the confusion or the misperception, the unknowing or the wrong views and misunderstanding of reality that the world around us seems like it needs to be our way. The mind wants things to be our way. So because of this unknowing of true reality, this lack of wisdom, the mind oftentimes experiences this dullness or this lethargic condition because it's chasing, 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 chasing with craving. If it gets what it wants, it gets those pleasant feelings. If it doesn't get what it wants, it gets these painful feelings. It moves into this anger. It becomes hostile. It becomes to the point where it's looking out at the world as individuals or enemies 
enemies. And now we're constantly trying to develop strategies about how to get back at somebody or to show somebody that we're more important than they are, we're more powerful than they are. It's because of this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality, the mind is falsely understanding. It's misunderstanding. It has this confusion about what true reality is, and it misunderstands. It thinks that other people are causing you to be angry. The unenlightened mind doesn't realize that it's causing itself to be angry. It's this craving, it's this anger and this ignorance, which is really plaguing the mind and burdening it. And this is why it can oftentimes become dull or lethargic or unmotivated or unenthusiastic because the mind is going around chasing, 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 and the mind is just preoccupied and so busy trying to figure out what's going on and really struggling and having difficulties in the world not because somebody is a bad person, that just because there's a lack of wisdom in the mind, there's this unknowing of true reality or this misunderstanding. So this is what the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or three fires are from a high level. And after the questions, I'm going to go into describing each one of them individually in a lot more detail and explaining examples of how these manifest and arise in your life and the struggles and challenges that you might experience because of these. And then we're going to talk about the solutions of each one of these. But let me just pause here and see if you guys have any questions at this point before we move further. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom in the comment section. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. There are no questions at the moment, sir. Okay. So let's go on to talking about craving. Craving is the first poison to understand. It's ignorance that all of these poisons exist, but let's talk about craving first because this kind of shows you a, a bit of the life cycle of what's really happening in the mind. What craving or greed or desire or attachment is, it's this burning desire, this never-ending thirst, where the mind is yearning and longing, wanting the objects of its affection, thinking that these external things are going to provide some kind of lasting satisfaction or some kind of lasting fulfillment, or the mind thinks that this is what it's going to take for me to feel whole or complete. This is where the mind almost sometimes becomes obsessive and it chases after the objects of its affection with this mental longing and strong eagerness. Sometimes it's chasing an unattainable goal. So in some situations where the mind might be bored or lonely, experiencing boredom or loneliness, someone might think, well, if I just have a boyfriend or if I just have a girlfriend, that's what I need. That'll solve my problems. Or if you want more money, you know, if I just get more money, let me get more money. And the mind chases, you know, it chases after this boyfriend or girlfriend or it chases after the money or it chases after that new pair of shoes or the new job. And it thinks that this external thing is going to provide some kind of lasting satisfaction. So the mind will chase and chase and chase and chase. And maybe you think that you would like to have $30,000 a year in a salary. And you chase and chase and chase and chase that and then you get it and the craving is fulfilled so the mind experiences this happiness this excitement and that exists in the mind for some period of time whether it's a couple of weeks or a few months or maybe a year or so but at some point that thirty thousand dollars isn't enough anymore and the mind wants more it wants 
$50,000. And now the mind chases and chases and chases. It's constantly pursuing this. And then eventually it might get that. And now the mind is once again satisfied for a period of time. It experiences this happiness, this excitement, this elation. It thinks that the chase was worthwhile. And it kind of justifies the pursuit because it feels like, yes, I got what I want and I got those pleasant feelings and it feels so wonderful. And now the mind experiences that 50,000 and now that happiness starts to fade. So now the mind wants the 70 or 80 or 90 or 100,000. It just keeps wanting more and more and more and thinking that this is what's gonna provide some kind of lasting satisfaction. But this is that never ending thirst, that unquenchable thirst, thinking that this external thing is gonna provide some kind of lasting satisfaction. And ultimately what it realizes is that this chase is fulfilling my needs because I'm getting these pleasant feelings. But oftentimes those painful feelings don't come in for a very long period of time later. The mind doesn't understand in the unenlightened state that because it was craving, because it was chasing, and it got those pleasant feelings, that it's also now going to experience painful feelings. Essentially, the mind is sabotaging itself. It's setting itself up to fail. But the unenlightened mind doesn't realize this because of its ignorance or this unknowing of true reality. So you might chase a certain job where you'll chase and chase and chase and chase, put in your resume, you'll go to the interview. You might almost be obsessive about going to the interview. You might have difficulty sleeping the night before. You might be obsessively thinking about what it is you're going to wear, what you're going to do when you get there. When you get there, your mind might be somewhat uncalm and have constant random thoughts because the mind is so obsessive about this. And then once the interview is over, you might be constantly thinking about you know, whether or not you're gonna get this job or not. And then you might ultimately get the job and you feel all these pleasant feelings, this happiness, this excitement, this elation, or this thrill and euphoria. And now that you have that job, maybe for three months or six months or a year, you feel really great. Maybe even three, four, five years, you feel really great that you've got this job, you've got upward mobility, you're getting increased amount of salaries, you're getting better and better positions, you might even be getting challenging work. And then at some point, you might lose this job, or you might be become bored of this job. The mind might experience a layoff or the company goes out of business or you get fired for one reason or another. And now you experience sadness or anger or frustration. And because this is say five years later, the unenlightened mind doesn't realize that the reason why you're experiencing that painful feelings is because you allow the mind to base its inner feelings on some condition. Early on, when you were first pursuing this job, you were having the mind base its inner feelings on this job and whether or not you got the job or not. So when you got the job, you felt excited, you felt happy, you felt elated. And now you base those inner feelings on the fact that you have a job in this particular job. So you're basing your inner feelings on some condition. The condition is that I've got this job. And now five years later, when the job ends because of impermanence, this job is going to end. It's not possible for it to be permanent. When that condition changes, 
the feelings inside the mind change as well. It moves from this happiness, excitement, elation to this sadness or anger or frustration. And it's not just happening with a job. It's happening with many different things that the mind might crave or long or yearn for. We can also use the example of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife. When you first get together, you got certain pleasant feelings because you're getting affection. You were having somebody invite you out. Somebody was calling you and checking in and seeing how you're doing. They might have shown up with some gifts every once in a while, spending quality time with each other. And the mind was longing and yearning and holding on to this relationship. And the mind feels like it was worthwhile because you're getting those pleasant feelings for many weeks and maybe even many months as this relationship first starts. But then at some point, the relationship has ended, whether it's a year or two years or three years or however long down the road. And then when the relationship ended, now the mind is sad or it's frustrated or it's angry because the mind based its inner feelings on the condition that I have a boyfriend or girlfriend when that relationship ends and now that condition is no longer there because of impermanence, now the mind moves to this anger or sadness or frustration or irritation. As long as the mind is longing and yearning and chasing after the objects of its affection, it's going to get those conditioned pleasant feelings based on the condition that I got a new pair of shoes, I got a raise, I got a new job, I got a boyfriend, I got a new car. You know, my kids came home with good grades. I went on a certain trip that, you know, I wanted to go travel or what have you. Any number of different things that the mind is going to chase after and long for and yearn for, if it gets the objects of its affection, it's going to get those pleasant feelings. And it's mistakenly understanding that, yes, this was a worthwhile pursuit because I got what I wanted. It's almost like a drug. It's almost like the mind's chasing cocaine or it's chasing heroin or crystal meth. If it gets what it wants, it gets those pleasant feelings. If it doesn't get what it wants, it gets painful feelings. So when you understand what this problem is, that the mind is having these wants and expectations and it's grasping and it's holding, then you start looking at the antidotes or the way to implement the wholesome roots in order to uproot this out of the mind so that the mind is no longer longing and yearning. You start developing a meditation practice where you can train the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation to develop awareness of mind so that you're aware when these cravings are arising. So that when you're walking in the mall and you feel the mind longing and yearning and wanting a particular pair of shoes or a new technology and it's longing and yearning for it, you can see it with mindfulness. If you have been practicing breathing mindfulness meditation, you'll be able to see the longing and yearning, the mind pulling towards this object, whether it's in the mall or whether it's in your daily life or any number of things. You'll observe with mindfulness that the mind is having this particular craving. And then if you have the concentration, which is also being developed as part of breathing mindfulness meditation, you're able to focus on a single object and you can then see even more and more clearly that the mind is having this longing and yearning. And in breathing mindfulness meditation, when the mind moves off the breath, you're cutting off and letting that go and bringing the mind back to the breath. So you're training the mind to let go. So that now in daily life, 
when you see the mind longing and yearning for something and you know that's a craving, you can restrain the mind. You can pull it back, almost like you're riding a horse. If you were ever ridden a horse and you've pulled on the reins, you're restraining the horse. You need to do that with your mind is you need to pull back and restrain the mind so that it's no longer lurching forward and chasing after the objects of your affection. Of course, there are certain things that you're going to need in life, right? What we're talking about here with craving, desire, attachment is the wants. The mind is chasing its wants. So if you just chase and chase and chase and chase something, the mind's not going to be able to experience peacefulness and joy. It's going to get those temporary pleasant feelings or painful feelings. But also, if you never applied for a job, for example, or you never did anything to move your life forward, if you were on the other side of that spectrum, then that's not going to feel peaceful and joyful either. So you need to practice that middle way that we talked about in Chapter 6, where you're pursuing things as a goal, as an objective or an interest. So if you're in the mall and you see that brand new pair of shoes, and you're like, oh my goodness, that is an amazing looking new pair of shoes. Let me think, do I need a new pair of shoes? you know what, I've got 10 pairs of shoes or I've got 30 pairs of shoes. I really don't need one more pair of shoes. Let me restrain the mind here and not actually buy that pair of shoes. And you might choose to move on. Or you might be in the mall thinking like, yeah, you know what, I do have five pairs of shoes or 10 pairs of shoes, but that one pair of shoes is wearing out and I'm going to need another pair. And this particular pair can replace that pair. And let me purchase this in order to replace that other pair of shoes. And you're now making potentially a logical choice based on the wisdom of what you need rather than longing and yearning and thinking this new pair of shoes is going to provide some kind of lasting satisfaction. So you need to be able to objectively observe the mind and know that when there's a craving, desire, attachment, the mind's pulling in the direction of the objects of its affection, you would like to restrain it. So let's just use this same scenario with the shoes. Say that your pair of shoes at home is wearing out. You do see this new pair of shoes at the mall and you realize it's a craving. The mind is longing and yearning for it. Maybe what you do is you say, you know what? I do need that new pair of shoes, but I see the mind is craving it and longing for it. It's pulling towards it. I'm not going to buy those shoes today. Let me buy them next week because if I buy them today or I buy them next week, it's really no difference for me. I'm trying to train this mind to no longer have craving. And the mind wants those new pair of shoes. It wants those happy feelings. It wants that thrill, that euphoria, that exhilaration. So let me restrain the mind here and not get that pair of shoes today. Let me get it next week or the week after or the week after. And this is how you can objectively look at the mind and you can consciously train the mind, not just in meditation, but outside of meditation as well. Because what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is you're cultivating certain mental qualities that you then use in daily life in order to actively train the mind. Your meditation is just one component of your life practice. This book is titled Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. So your life practice is more than just meditation. The meditation of breathing mindfulness meditation, you're cultivating that mindfulness or awareness of mind. You're cultivating concentration or focus, and you're cultivating the ability for the mind to easily let go so that when you notice the mind is off the breath, you can easily let it go.
so that then in daily life you can now use those qualities that you can use the mindfulness to see the craving arise you can maintain your concentration and your focus and now you can train the mind to let that go and move on and then when you do this more and more readily the mind will be less and less interested to have craving and desire it's kind of like if you were training a dog and i wouldn't suggest training a dog this way but you'll understand what i'm describing that if you had a dog on a leash and it kept pulling you and pulling you and pulling you some people might choose to yank back and yank back and yank back and eventually that dog's going to understand like hey i can't go anywhere i'm just going to sit here by my owner's side and no longer pull so this is what you're doing with the unenlightened mind that with mindfulness and concentration where you see the mind pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling chasing towards the object of his affection you keep yanking it back and yanking it back and yanking it back and eventually the mind gets so used to this that you keep pulling it back and pulling it back and pulling it back and it doesn't get to chase anymore that eventually the mind will be calm and serene and it'll sit down and just be still in the present moment. You can quiet the mind. But as long as you give in to these cravings and you allow the mind to keep longing and yearning and you don't know that this whole thing is occurring in the mind, you'll just keep giving in to those cravings and the mind will just keep craving. It's kind of like a three-year-old child. If a three-year-old child says, mommy, can I have chocolate? And mommy's like, all right, here, you can have the chocolate. And he's like, yay, I got the chocolate, I got the chocolate, right? Or, you know, mom, dad, can I have some more chocolate the next time you're in the store? Here you go, here you go. You know, you keep giving the chocolate. Eventually, when you tell this child, no, you can't have chocolate, it might throw a temper tantrum. And this is where the mind is now revolting. It's moving to that second poison of the anger, hatred, and ill will. So if you keep allowing the mind to keep chasing after the objects of its affection and you keep giving it what it wants, then it's just going to keep getting used to getting what it wants all the time. So where you observe with mindfulness that the mind is longing and yearning, chasing after the objects of its affection, you restrain the mind with those qualities that you've built in breathing mindfulness meditation and you don't give it what it wants. You train the mind that it's not going to always get what it wants. And if it experiences some sadness or frustration or irritation or agitation in that situation because you didn't buy the new pair of shoes, for example, then okay, now you need to learn how to cut that off and let it go. But if you keep giving in to the mind, then sometimes people get into massive amounts of debt. Because chasing after the objects of your affection and continuing to pay for things over and over and over again, the mind can oftentimes get into a massive amount of debt, which really plagues you and burdens you. So you would like to introduce some impermanence into the mind so that it doesn't get the objects of its affection when it's longing and yearning. Because if you keep feeding that monster, then the monster is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So you're trying to circumvent all of this. You're trying to develop this meditation practice to get ahead of this, where you can now see that okay, maybe you're single now and you would like to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend where when you see your mind longing and yearning, you can pull it back. It doesn't mean you never have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but you don't get obsessive about this. Or if you need a new pair of shoes, you don't long and yearn and chase after it. You restrain the mind and you just look at your needs versus your wants. So wherever you see the mind longing and yearning, no matter what particular topic it's about, you would like to restrain the mind because as long as you keep allowing it to get those conditioned pleasant feelings 
it's only a matter of time before it gets conditioned painful feelings. So the way to get away from the discontentedness and eliminate it is to get ahead of the curve and see the cravings earlier and earlier, restrain the mind and don't allow it to get those conditioned pleasant feelings. Therefore, you won't experience the conditioned painful feelings. And eventually, once your mind is unconditioned, the mind will just always be joyful. With the unenlightened mind having craving, there are certain conditions or certain expectations the mind needs to have met. And when those are met, then you can be happy. I need this, 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 and then I will be happy. But that whole huge list just keeps growing and it gets more and more massive. So therefore, your ability to be happy becomes more and more narrow. It becomes fewer and fewer situations where you might experience happiness. So when you get rid of these conditions, when you get rid of craving, desire, attachment, and you uncondition the mind, you uproot this condition of craving out of the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation. And the next thing that I'm going to talk about is generosity. When you uproot that out of the mind, now the mind is unconditioned. You can be joyful just walking in the mall, talking to your friends. You don't have to buy something. You don't have to get that new pair of shoes. You can just be by yourself and walk in the mall and just look around and wow it's really beautiful here look at all these colors look at all these people wow it's quite amazing this is interesting or hey there's nobody here in the mall this is interesting too you know i'm just walking in the mall it's quite peaceful here there's nobody here so you can train the mind to be peaceful calm serene and content with joy in any and all situations because the mind is no longer longing yearning for any particular thing so when you get those out of the way the mind can reside peaceful and joyful no matter what's happening so it's breathing mindfulness meditation that's going to give you the qualities of mind to be able to implement those in daily life where you see the mind longing yearning you can pull it back and you can restrain it then the second thing is to practice generosity when there's craving in the mind the mind oftentimes becomes very selfish it becomes very self-centered it holds on to things wanting the objects of its affection so when you make a certain amount of money you hold on to it or you buy certain clothes you hold on to it it's my clothes it's my shoes it's my car it's my house it's my pen it's my book it's my computer it's my phone mine 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 so the mind oftentimes becomes very selfish with craving desire attachment it clings and holds on to things so what you're doing with generosity is you're training the mind to let go once again not only in breathing mindfulness meditation but with this practice of generosity where you're giving and you're sharing more than is strictly required in any one given situation your time your effort your energy and your resources you find ways to share and once again you need to do that from the middle way whereas if you were craving to share and you shared unlimitless amount of things then you wouldn't have potentially the basic necessities that you need in order to sustain your life but if you never shared and you were selfish and you held on to things very tightly, this isn't going to lead to liberation or freedom of strong feelings in the mind. So you need to practice this middle way where you're now practicing generosity, where you're looking to give and share and you find ways to give and share your time, your effort, your energy and your resources more than is strictly required in any one given situation. And this trains the mind to let go because you're now 
allowing people to use your computer. You're allowing them to use your phone. You're okay with other people driving your car. You're okay with people using your clothing or wearing your shoes or at work if you have certain things on your desk. You're okay if people sit at your desk and use your computer. You're okay with these kind of things because you give and you share. You open a bag of potato chips and you might offer it to the people around you. You're looking for ways to train the mind that this isn't yours. It doesn't belong to you. None of this stuff around you is truly yours. It doesn't truly belong to you. It's almost like you're renting it and like you're a landlord. Even if you own your house, you're truly just renting it. You're truly just there for the time being. Your existence in that house is impermanent. It doesn't belong to you. Same thing like the car that you drive. Even if you don't owe any money on it at all and you paid it all in cash, you actually don't own that car because it's not permanent. You're going to eventually need to let that car go. So if you can train the mind to practice generosity in all these given situations with your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources, giving and sharing and letting other people use the things that you have or just give away certain things that you have, then the mind can be trained to let go. And now the mind will be less and less have a tendency to hold on because you no longer see things as mine and it belongs to me. It's mine because that's what the mind's going to do when it has craving. So you would like to unravel this so that it's no longer thinking that way. You're rewiring the mind to view that all these things in your life are impermanent and they're all going to leave you someday. So it doesn't make sense to hold on to them tightly because it's just going to cause discontentedness. The tighter you hold on to it, this object is impermanent. So when it leaves you someday, it's going to really hurt. So it's better to give and share, let other people use the things that you have or give away the things that you have in certain situations so that the mind isn't craving permanence and holding on to it. So that then when this thing does truly leave you for whatever reason, it doesn't hurt because you've already trained the mind to let it go, that it doesn't belong to you. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have about this one. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions that you like. Yes, sir. There are two questions in Zoom. Joe asks, if you have one poison, you have them all? Yes. Yes. If you have one, you have them all. Because if there's ignorance in the mind, then there's still going to be craving and anger. And if you have craving, there's going to be anger as well. That's correct. Thank you. Then Tony asks, how do we know or distinguish between healthy desire, ambition or goals and craving? There's no such thing as a healthy desire. Remember when we look at the definition of craving desire attachment with the Four Noble Truths, we define it as this longing and yearning this chasing after the objects of your affection. So when we talk and we use in common language prior to getting onto the path to enlightenment, we might say, I want you to come with me to the movies, or I want an ice cream cone, or I want a new pair of shoes. We use certain language like this because we're unknowing of true reality. We don't have wisdom. So what you might find is you start changing the way that you speak in certain words that you use because the mind is now starting to do this transformation. Trans 
transforming the three poisons, which is the title of this chapter, you're also transforming the way that you think about the world and the things around you. So you might no longer say that I want an ice cream cone. You might say, I would like to have an ice cream cone, or I'd be interested to have an ice cream cone, or hey, would you guys like to have an ice cream cone? Instead of hey, do you want to have an ice cream cone? You might see that your language starts to change because the vast majority of the world is saying things like, I want you to come with me or I want you to get this project done by this point and this point, right? But as you start modifying the way you think about the world around you and you start modifying your language, you'll notice that you'll actually be more successful in life. Because if you go around saying, like, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, or I expect you to do this, or I expect you to do that, people will have a tendency to reject that. People will have a tendency to dig their heels in and say, no, you know, that's not what I'm doing. But if you say, you know, I would like you to get this project done by Friday, would that be possible? Or is this something that you could consider completing this project by Friday? Your employees or your friends or family, when you speak this way, you'll find that you're able to talk more comfortably with people and people feel more comfortable around you. So there's no such thing as a healthy desire. There's this craving, desire, attachment, the longing, the yearning. That's how we're defining this, the wants, the expectations. And then there's the complete opposite of that, which is like the dullness, lethargic, condition, the lack of motivation or enthusiasm. You're not interested in living on either sides of that. You would like to pursue things as a goal, as an objective, or as an interest. So let's just say you would like to buy a new car, right? The car isn't the craving, or the job itself isn't the craving, or the ice cream, or the more money. That's not the craving. The craving is the longing and yearning. So say you do need a new car, or you know you're going to need a new car in three years or five years from now. So you gradually work towards that. You gradually make wise decisions that lead up to your ability to now purchase a new car in three years or five years. And in that purchase of the new car, you know that it's not providing you this lasting satisfaction. It's just a tool that you're going to use in order to get from point A to point B. It's going to allow you to go out to work and come back or go out to social activities and come back or go out to the store and collect up things that you need to sustain your life and come back. It's not going to provide you any lasting satisfaction. It's just a tool. So you can progress towards that as a goal, as an objective or an interest. The same thing with the job. If you know you need a new job or you're looking for a job, then you pursue those as a goal, as an objective or an interest, and you gradually work towards it. You might gradually put your resumes out. You might gradually take phone calls, gradually schedule these appointments. And each time you go towards scheduling an appointment or showing up for an interview, you know in your mind that, hey, no matter what happens here, this job is impermanent. Even if I work there for 20 years or 50 years, if I retire from this job, it's still going to be impermanent at some point. So let me not base my internal feelings on whether I get this job or not. Let me just look at it as a means to be able to provide the things that I need in life, which is I need a certain income in order to purchase certain basic necessities to sustain my life. But when the mind has craving and longing and yearning, it thinks this job is going to complete me 
or this boyfriend or girlfriend is going to complete me. They're going to make me feel whole. Or, you know, this new pair of shoes is going to provide this fulfillment or this satisfaction that I can only get from this new pair of shoes. That's what the craving desire attachment is going to want to tell you in the mind. But when you understand that that's the problem, then you can pursue things as a goal, as an objective or interest and understand that there's no such thing as a wholesome desire or a good desire. But you can pursue things as a goal, as an objective or an interest. I'll use this example since we're talking about the teachings of the Buddha to help you see this a bit, is that during Gautama Buddha's lifetime, when he awoke to enlightenment, he knew that he would like to share his teachings with the entire world. But that wouldn't happen during his lifetime because he only had 45 years and the right environment and the right criteria didn't exist during his lifetime to be able to share his teachings worldwide. So for 45 years, he gradually shared his teachings one person at a time or five people at a time or 100 people at a time or 20 people at a time. He just gradually shared his teachings into the world. And here we are 2,500 years later, still talking about his teachings. He was very successful at what he did because he gradually did it. Whereas if he was craving and longing and yearning and he could only be happy if 100 people were in his class, that means when 20 people showed up, he would be frustrated, he would be angry. He would be irritated and annoyed. And that would come through in his intentions, his speech, and his actions. But when you train your mind to not have these expectations and these cravings, you can be just as content teaching 100 people as you can teaching one person. Or if you show up and there's no students there in your class, then you can be perfectly content and joyful to go home as well. That, okay, you know, there's nobody here. Let me just go home. But if you have a craving, if you have a desire, if you have attachment, if you have expectations or wants, now your mind can only be happy if your wants are fulfilled. So by getting rid of those craving, desire, attachments, the wants, the desires, the expectations, your mind can get to a point where you're fulfilled and you're joyful regardless of what's happening around you. And you can see these different examples because in the unenlightened mind, what we tend to only know is we tend to only know to pursue things out of craving, desire, attachment, because that's what we've pretty much been doing our entire life until we get to the path to enlightenment and we start understanding it and we start practicing it closely. That pretty much everything we've ever done has been based in craving, desire, attachment. We don't know how to pursue things as a goal, as an objective or interest gradually. All we know is to chase and chase and chase and chase and chase, almost like a predator chasing a prey. So part of what you're doing here by understanding this and then training your mind is you're also getting used to learning how to progress towards things patiently as a goal, as an objective or interest. And the mind may not like this when it first starts doing it, but the more you do it this way and you see that you never experience discontentedness because you're pursuing things as a goal rather than as a craving, you'll tend to like it a whole lot more because you never experience any discontentedness and you're much more successful pursuing things as a goal, objective or interest patiently, gradually, rather than chase, 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 chase. Because in that chase, we tend to make unwise decisions because we're just trying to hurry up and get to the happy feelings. We're just trying to hurry up and get to that euphoria, that exhilaration. So we just chase and chase and we make a lot of rapid decisions, which ultimately are oftentimes 
unwise decisions. And we're just trying to get to the end of this pursuit because we think there the mind can finally rest and it can finally be satisfied. But it's not because then those feelings wear off and you're off for another chase. So when you learn how to not chase, but just pursue things gradually, then you'll start to understand what this feels like and you'll get more and more experiences of pursuing things as a goal, being successful with that, and then you're not discontent because of it. So therefore your mind can just reside in this peaceful and joyful mental state. And then you'll just learn how to do more and more things in that way. Thank you, teacher. There are no more questions at the moment. Okay, so let's go on to the next one, which is anger, hatred, and some people refer to it as ill will. We'll talk about this one in detail, and then we'll talk about the solutions or the antidotes or the wholesome roots. So with that craving in the mind, as long as there's craving there, there's going to be those pleasant feelings, and then there's going to be these painful feelings. The mind is basing its inner feelings on some condition. And when the mind gets what it wants, it gets those conditioned pleasant feelings, the happiness, excitement, elation. But because it's based on a condition, it's only a matter of time before that condition changes. Because of impermanence, now the condition changes and the mind ends up in this anger, this hatred, this ill will. And this is where the mind tries to avoid its unpleasantness. It tries to look at other people as being the problem. It almost creates enemies in the world thinking that this person is an enemy because they don't agree with me or I didn't get my cravings satisfied. I didn't get what I wanted in this situation. So therefore these painful feelings that I'm experiencing, it's because of that person. It's because of that situation. But in reality, it's because you didn't get what you wanted. You didn't get the craving fulfilled but the mind is not understanding that because of that ignorance. It's thinking that this anger and hatred and ill will that's arising is because of this other person. So the mind resists and denies and tries to avoid these unpleasant feelings and circumstances and people. And because of this, the mind is pushing its inner feelings away. It's trying to push people away, almost viewing them like an internal enemy. The mind essentially wants to be in this pleasant, comfortable, and satisfying state all the time. And it doesn't realize that it can't do that as long as it's basing it on craving. As long as the mind's basing its inner feelings on cravings, desires, attachments, it's only going to get temporary pleasant feelings because it's got these conditioned feelings. So when the mind experiences that it gets what it wants, those pleasant feelings come into the mind. When it doesn't get what it wants, it gets angered or frustrated or irritated or annoyed. And now because of this false reality that it has in the mind, it falsely thinks that this other person is causing that. So it will push that person away. That's the aversion. And it creates this conflict or almost these enemies in the world around us or the mind might become bitter and harsh or aggressive or resentful or hostile towards this person and they choose to leave. Or there's certain expectations that you put on that person and then the person chooses to leave out of your life. So as long as there's craving in the mind, it's only a matter of time before there's some kind of anger, hatred, ill will, which is on one side of the spectrum of that anger, hatred, ill will. But then there's these lesser versions. There's the frustration, there's the irritation, there's the annoyance, there's the agitation. So depending on how strong your cravings are and how many cravings you have at any given time, it's gonna dictate how intensely 
You might be angered or you might just have a little bit of an annoyance in a certain situation. So if you have a very light craving, a very light desire, a very small expectation or very small want, you might just be annoyed or irritated in a certain situation. But if you're holding on to something really tightly and you have extensive amount of craving, your mind's going to go up into that anger and hatred a lot quicker and it's going to be more profound when the mind gets there. And that's where the mind then becomes unskillful in your moral conduct. Your intentions, your speech, and your actions become bitter and harsh towards people. And as long as the mind is doing this, you can't reside with all beings harmoniously. There's going to be some people that you get along with, and there's going to be some people that you hate and you can't spend time with. And the more cravings you have, the more expectations, the more wants that you have, the number of people you can spend time with is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because people have to meet your expectations in order for you to be comfortable to be with them. So as long as this craving is there and these expectations keep growing and growing, the number of people are going to get smaller and smaller that you can spend time with. So while you're working on eliminating those cravings and getting rid of those in the way that we just talked about, you also need to work on the anger. Because the anger, hatred, and ill will is going to continue to be there and the mind's going to keep being bitter and harsh and aggressive. And as long as you're putting that out, that's what's going to come back to you. So you use loving kindness meditation to break up this anger, this ill will that's in the mind. The loving kindness meditation is essentially rewiring the mind to now only have this genuine interest in seeing others be well having active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. Where you're no longer judging people and deciding if they meet your criteria or not. You're no longer judging people and deciding if they meet your expectations or not. You just understand that, hey, this is another being and I'm only interested in being loving and kind to this person or to this animal or whatever being you're with. That you're not interested in having anger, hatred, and ill will or those lesser versions of irritation or annoyance or other things. So in the meditation that I've taught in this group learning program, there was a four-part series where over four Wednesdays, I taught loving kindness meditation. And there I was teaching you how to essentially rewire the mind. Because when there's craving in the mind, you get what you want, you get those pleasant feelings. But if you don't get what you want, you're going to go down this path of anger. And this well-worn path of anger gets really worn. You know, you get you know to the point where there's no grass, it's just dirt. And you've pushed back all the bushes and all the sticker bushes and all the trees and the limbs. It's this well-worn path. And you know where that leads. It leads to the bitterness, the hostility, the broken relationships, the difficulties and the struggles. So what you're doing in the loving kindness meditation is you're rewiring the mind so that when you don't get what you want, you realize that it's not the other person that's causing you to be angry. It's your own mind that's causing that because of craving. So now rather than blame the other person and go down this bitterness and this hostility and this aggression, you forge this new path with loving kindness meditation. And this is why it's challenging as you're training your mind in meditation and you're training your mind in daily life that the mind wants to keep going down this path of anger and hostility because that's what it's used to particularly if you're older, right? If you're 50, 60, 80 years old, your mind's been so used to going down this path of anger that you're now trying to rewire the mind and 
forge this new path. You're trying to get out your machete and break down the bushes and the sticker briars and make this new path. And as you make this new path, when certain things are happening in your life, you have a tendency to go down this new path more and more. And that path gets more and more worn and it becomes easier and easier to go down this path of loving kindness because you've been traveling this path more and more frequently through loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life through your intentions, your speech and your actions. And as you go down this path more and more and your mind gets more and more used to going down this path of loving kindness, this old path of anger and hatred and ill will, it gets overgrown. And the mind will no longer go down there. You will get to the point where it's utterly impossible for the mind to become angered. For an enlightened being who's trained their mind, you can't experience anger anymore. It's impossible for the mind to experience it because that path is overgrown. And the mind is not even going to look in that direction anymore. It's going to just always go down this path of loving kindness, this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing others be well and not judging to determine if somebody deserves your loving kindness, but you're just choosing to be loving and kind with everybody because you start to understand that because of the natural law of gamma, whatever you put out, that's what's going to come back to you. So if you put out anger, hostility and aggression, and that's what you have been doing in the past then you've got people in your life that are putting that stuff back on you. And you've got to decide what to do in these relationships. So if you've been putting out anger, hostility, aggression, or bitterness, then that's going to be coming back to you. But now by using loving kindness meditation, you transform your mind to no longer have this ill will. And then even when people are argumentative with you, you choose not to argue. Or people are bitter and harsh with you, you choose not to be bitter and harsh. You do something different because what you have been doing is going down this path of anger and it's not working for you. It's kind of like if somebody picks up a rubber ball and they throw the rubber ball and it bounces around the room. If you pick up the rubber ball and you throw it around the room, then they pick up the rubber ball. It keeps giving this argument energy and the argument just continues. It keeps going around and your head's kind of spinning by the end of this, like what the heck did we even talk about? And now there's this hostility and this aggression and there's these painful feelings as a result of this argument. Well, if you understand that this isn't leading anywhere good in your life, when somebody picks up a rubber ball and they throw the rubber ball, you just watch it roll into the corner. You don't give it any energy because as you give it energy, it's just going to keep going and you're just going to keep having this rubber ball bouncing around. So you need to learn how to no longer be argumentative. And what you might find is that as you're doing loving kindness meditation and you're then practicing loving kindness in daily life through your intentions, your speech and your actions, being polite, kind, friendly and respectful, you might find that there are certain relationships that you have in life right now that you're going to choose to move on from, that there's too much bitterness, there's too much hostility on your side and or the other person's side and you're not committed enough to this relationship and it's just better to let it go and just move on. And then there's relationships that you're committed to, that you've been bitter and harsh in and they're bitter and harsh and you're decided that you're going to work this out and you're going to sort this out and you're going to make it better through focusing on your own mind first and training your own mind first. And you're going to work at getting this relationship in a better and better place. 
And then there's a third type of relationship, which are completely brand new relationships that you haven't even made yet. You haven't even met those people yet. But from this point forward, you'll meet new people in your life. And now you'll only be loving and kind around those people. And you won't have craving, desire, attachment. And now you can have a very fulfilling relationship because you're not putting expectations on those people. You're not requiring certain things of them in order for you to be loving and kind to them. You can just be loving and kind to them all the time. And then you'll just choose to associate with people who are polite, kind, friendly, and respectful because that's a basic need in a relationship. When you want somebody to be polite, kind, friendly, respectful, and then they're not, you'll get angry because you're craving it, you're longing for it, you're yearning for it. But when you just practice being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, and you look for that in your relationships, when you know that you have that in a relationship, you can build a really nice relationship with this person. But in certain situations where you see that they're not loving and kind, you might choose to move on from the relationship, realizing that it doesn't have the basic needs of politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respect. But that's not going to solve your anger by just choosing to move on in the relationship. But you might need to do that in order to let go of certain relationships, to fix certain relationships that you're in now, and then forge new relationships as well. So this is what you'll most likely see that you will do as part of this path to enlightenment. And you'll be able to do that when you're practicing loving kindness meditation, because now with the rewiring of the mind by doing these affirmations in the mind during the loving kindness meditation, then you go off into the world and you are more loving and kind. So I'll just give you an example of this from my life that when I was growing up, I had a lot of difficulties with my mother. We had certain difficulties all through my childhood. I had a lot of resentment and anger and hostility towards her, even into my early adulthood. And I realized this and I realized that I had this difficulty and I started doing loving kindness meditation as part of my practice. So for a really long time, I included mom in my loving kindness meditation. And prior to that, whenever we would come together, it would blow up and you know we'd have all kinds of problems. But now in transforming my mind, I would come together with mom. I could be loving and kind. She was sometimes not loving and kind, but when she did that, I would just go away. So we might come together, we might spend some time together over a course of a few months and everything was going great. And I was being loving and kind and doing generous things, but then she might be hostile or harsh or aggressive with me. And I might say in the past, I might've been harsh and aggressive and bitter with her back. And then it just blows up and the relationship falls apart. But then I started being more committed to this relationship and working it out. And where I would see that she might be bitter and harsh to me, I might just say something polite or kind and say, you know, mom, you know, I would prefer not to talk to you like that. Our relationship is more important to me than talking to you like that. I'm going to go away for a little while and let you kind of think about what you're talking about so that we can be more loving and kind with each other where she didn't experience that from me before. Before, when she was bitter and harsh with me, I would just be bitter and harsh back, where now I started doing something different. So it was like this log jam before, and I started pulling out these logs of anger and hatred and ill will, and as I did, everything started to shift. And we got to a point by the time that she died that we were both loving and kind with each other. We didn't have any problems in our relationship whatsoever. But it required me to work on my own mind first so that I could be better in this relationship. 
So there were certain relationships that I let go of. There were certain relationships that I fixed and that I resolved. And then there were new relationships, tons of new relationships that you forge that now you're only practicing loving kindness and non-attachment. And you can have harmonious relationships with anybody and everybody because you don't have any expectations of them. You don't want anything from them. You just love them as they are. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything that they do, but you can just love them as they are as a human being. You're not expecting or wanting anything from them. You just have nothing but this genuine interest in seeing them be well. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have about anger, hatred, and ill will, this loving kindness meditation that you're practicing on a consistent ongoing basis, and then moving those qualities of mind into your practice of daily life, that you're being loving and kind in your intentions, your speech, and your actions by being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. And that Eightfold Path that we talked about back in chapter five, where we discussed the moral conduct and we discussed the right intentions, right speech, and right actions. That's where the Buddha is helping you to understand this natural law of karma in the best way for you to function in the world. You'll have your own personality, you'll have your own character, but he's giving you these guidelines and this guidance to be able to help you see this natural law of karma so that you can now practice your loving kindness in your relationships and you can now clean up your mind with the loving kindness meditation and then you can go out into the world and practice with people where your mind can now be more loving and kind understanding that just because you're being loving kind today doesn't mean everyone else is going to be loving and kind to you it's not like a snap of a finger because you've made some unwise decisions in the past and that stuff is going to come back to you so if you've been harsh or aggressive or hostile with your life partner or your children or your parents or your brothers and sisters just because you choose to be loving and kind now doesn't mean that they're going to immediately change right so there's this gradual change that you need to do and then people need to gradually see that you've changed and then gradually you can start moving your relationships to being more loving and kind so next week we're going to end up talking about the natural law of gamma where i'm going to help you see how to clean up your gamma from your past decisions because these three poisons have been in your mind throughout your whole life and you've made unwise decisions in the past and you're going to need to clean that stuff up in order to get to this peaceful and joyful mental state in this peaceful and joyful life but let me see what questions you guys have here you can put those into facebook youtube or zoom or you can raise your hand in zoom and ask any questions that you like thank you sir there are oh there's a question in zoom that i'll go to first uh joe raise his hand hello um I'm not sure if it was a, well, it's not really a question, I guess, but it's more of a comment. Um, through these classes, I've realized that I'm not like one of my parents is very difficult or I consider them to be difficult. Um, I guess the classes have made me realize that I'm not yet ready to have relationship with them, like, or I'm not prepared or I don't have the, you know, the right thinking, right way of thinking to, uh, to engage in a relationship at this point. Um, so, you know, just for anybody else out there, you just might have to step away, you know, like David just said. Um, so, you know, and that's helped ease my mind. So I don't necessarily have to feel bad about it or, you know, that's about it. 
Yeah, that's normal, Joe. You know, you can step away from relationships and kind of put them on pause a little bit, even for multiple years. You know, there were times where I went away from my mom for three to five years sometimes before I would come back together. My sister, too. I mean, my sister and I, we went away for a good 15 years at one point, you know, uh, being away from each other. So these kind of things can happen. And then you're working on your own mind. You're working on growth. Perhaps those people are, maybe not. But at least they can see that when you're away from them, they're still getting angry. So you're not the source of their anger. So this is common. And yeah, you don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel shameful. But working on your own mind and kind of consolidating the number of people that you spend time with is actually really wise. And then once you've done the work on your own mind, because now you've got more time to do that because there's less relationships involved, then you can expand back out. I call this the bow tie, that when we're young, we're wide open. We don't have much wisdom. When we're young, we have all these different friends. And then as we age, the number of people we spend time with becomes less and less and less because we have so many more expectations. And then eventually we get into the path to enlightenment, which is the knot of the bow tie. And we do this work on our own mind. And then as we emerge from that, we expand back out like a bow tie. And then you'll be in a better place to be able to do that. If your mind's not in a good place right now to be able to have certain relationships, it would just be the same missteps and the same challenges and difficulties and struggles that you experienced in the past. But oftentimes the best way to be committed to a relationship is to sometimes step away from it, do the work that you need on your own mind. And then when you get back involved in any particular relationship, whether it's family or friends or what have you, you'll be in a better state of mind. You'll have the tools that you need to now be able to clear up the relationship because you've first done the work on your own mind and now you can clear up your relationship with anybody that you're struggling with that you're committed to having a relationship with and then as i mentioned there's some people that you might just choose to move on and you know no longer have a relationship not that you hate them not that you're pushing them away you're just choosing to move on because you realize there's too much work there and you're not ready or able or capable to do that work right now and then there's certain relationships like this that you can just put on pause and then when you're ready you can get back together and then you have more tools in which to handle whatever's going on in the relationship yeah mm -hmm. um just a side note yeah i'd stepped away for i guess eight years i mean with chit chat in between but really just i was away mm -hmm. um and then I came back think, into the relationship with, you know, my parents thinking it was going to be different, you know, for some reason. I don't know. Maybe because I changed, you know, I guess I expected them, you know, to do the same. But it was actually worse mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, than, than I could have expected um, mm -hmm. coming back in. So now, you know, I'm back out again. Yeah. Um, so. We'll, well get there. Well, the difference is now you're doing something different. Is you're training, you're learning, you're gaining wisdom. So at, at some point, if you choose to go back into the relationship, then you'll have more wisdom in which to now have this relationship, which you didn't have before. So just stepping away isn't going to produce the results that you need. But stepping away, doing the work on your own mind, gaining wisdom, then stepping back in, now you've improved your ability to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, teacher. There are also two questions on YouTube. Uh, Bhavani asks, how to tell with discrimination of 
how to deal with discrimination of parents towards their daughter and their daughter's family. Thank you. I need more information to understand more, right? This is very general information to be able to understand the issue. Let me speak in general since you've shared something in general, but if you'd like to share more details, you can. But in general, if somebody is going to be discriminatory, you know, there's a certain amount of anger or hatred or frustration, irritation there. That's their choice. That's what they're choosing to do. Your job on the path to enlightenment isn't to change other people. It's to work on your own mind. So if other people are choosing to be bitter or harsh or aggressive or hostile, you can choose to move on and not be in the relationship and do the work on your own mind. And as we were just talking, there might be a relationship that you let go of entirely and you move on, or you might decide that you're committed to this relationship and you just need to step away for a period of time and work on your own mind. But your job at this point isn't to change other people. Even when I was doing the work that I was doing and I would come back with my mom and she was bitter and harsh, I wouldn't have said that I was trying to change her, but I was trying to help her see that the relationship was important to me and that was more important than me being hostile and aggressive and harsh the way I had done in the past. And I'm choosing to step away. Because when I chose to do that, she could choose to not do work and she could choose to not become more friendly and more polite and more kind with me. And then when we come back together, you know, it could have went back and forth. And perhaps by the end of her life, we would have never, you know, had a, a cordial conversation. But when we stepped away, she did some work because I gave her a few words to kind of help her along the way as I explained to her, like, hey, this is really important to me that we have a good, healthy relationship and I'm not interested in being argumentative with you anymore. So I'm gonna just step away and give you some time to think about this. And I would sometimes go away for a few months or a few years or something like that. So in this situation, just hearing some very basic things that you're sharing, just keep in mind that your goal isn't to change the other person. You need to do the work on your own mind first and that's what's going to get you to liberation. And then once you've gained wisdom, if you come back into the relationship, you'll be better able to address whatever it is you need to address because your parents aren't going to function the way that you expect them to function. You know, my dad left when I, I was in the stomach of my mom and I didn't meet him until I was 20 years old. And then when I did meet him, of course, you know, my, I had all these expectations and I wanted certain things from him. And then I got to a point where I decided, you know what, I don't want anything from him. And then I was able to gain my peace. And then even now, you know, we don't really talk to each other very much hardly at all because there hasn't been a relationship there our whole life. So even though he doesn't have any interest in reaching out and having a relationship with me, my mind can be completely peaceful and completely joyful because I don't want anything. I'm not craving, I'm not attached. But if you're attached to your parents and you want them to be a certain way and they're treating you or their daughter a certain way that you don't agree with, then you're gonna be angry. So you need to let go of your craving and you need to arise your loving kindness towards your parents no longer having expectations and then just choosing how much time you spend with them at what particular times in your life. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, Shauna also says, hello, my four teenagers are always fighting, arguing, yelling, expressing hatred towards each other constantly. No matter what I say to them, they don't listen and it just continues. They aren't on the path with me. What should I do so that I'm not angry with them and overwhelmed every day? 
not to mention to encourage them to stop with their own hatred slash ignorance, etc. Yeah, this is a result of not having the wisdom that you needed early on, right? Like if you had this wisdom of the Buddhist teachings when they were really young, you would have been able to teach them these type of things as they were growing up. Like my son, he's 10 years old. We started teaching him very young in life so that now he understands how to practice these things. And of course, he still has certain challenges that we need to help him with along the way, but we base everything on this Eightfold Path so he understands and he learns and he practices. So not having had this wisdom as they were growing up, now they're teenagers and wow, like things can probably be unraveled at some points. So I would need to talk with you in more detail about your individual situations and the other person who asked the question as well. This is where you would like to schedule a personal guidance discussion with me. You can do that through our website by going to buddhadailywisdom.com. And from there, there's links that you can schedule a personal discussion with me and we can talk about the intricacies of what the ages of the children are, what kinds of things are you seeing, what kinds of things have you taught them and have you tried before? Because it's not going to be just saying one thing to them and then boom, everything's fixed. It's going to be gradual training, gradual practice and gradual progress. It's going to be consistent ongoing training of your own mind and consistent ongoing training for them. So they're teenagers, so you might still be able to help them. And even if you don't, there's definitely things that you can do for your own mind. But to be able to help you with that, it's going to need an in-depth conversation for me to understand and then start helping you with it. And then there's going to need to be regular conversations that as you learn things, you implement it. There's a little bit of changes. You learn something, you implement it. There's a little bit of changes. And it's a gradual, continuous, consistent improvements because there's not just one thing that you can say that's going to instantly change all of this because this has all been underway for many years. Thank you, sir. There are no more questions. Okay. So let's look at the third poison, which is the ignorance or the unknowing of true reality, this delusion that I mentioned at the beginning of class. This is the way that the mind has this wrong understanding or wrong views of reality, where we are talking like the unenlightened mind, not understanding craving, it thinks that other people are causing you to be angry. This is because of the ignorance, that craving and anger only exist in the mind because of this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality, where the mind has misperceptions about how the world works. It has this inability to understand things as they truly are. It has these perceptual distortions or these misperceptions, this misunderstanding or this confusion about reality. So in the unenlightened state, because the mind just doesn't understand what it doesn't understand, it lacks wisdom, it continues to experience the same problems over and over and over and over and over again because it hasn't cultivated the wisdom to understand what craving is and what the antidotes are. It doesn't understand the anger and how it's manifesting and causing problems in your life. And it doesn't understand what the antidotes are there. And this is all happening because of its ignorance or its unknowing of true reality. So the way to fix this is through wisdom through investigating the teachings that you learn, you reflect, and you practice the teachings of Gautama Buddha. And this is what allows you to accumulate wisdom and acquire wisdom. This is why when students first start studying with me, I teach them to not believe anything that I say, that you should never believe anything I say. You should never believe anything you see in a book written about Gautama Buddha's teachings. You should never believe any of these teachings. You just learn them. 
you reflect on them to independently verify them, and then you practice them. And this is what gets you to wisdom. You can't fix the mind and get to enlightenment. You can't fix your family situations and your struggles with your teenagers or your life partners or your coworkers or your friends or your parents without wisdom. You need wisdom. The whole reason why these problems are occurring to begin with is because of the lack of wisdom, the ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. If you didn't have this ignorance or unknowing of true reality, the craving wouldn't exist and the anger wouldn't exist. Therefore, you would have completely fulfilling relationships. Everything would be peaceful in your life. Everything would be joyful in your life because the mind would be enlightened. But because the mind lacks wisdom, it has this confusion or this misunderstanding, it has this lack of wisdom, the mind doesn't have what it needs on board in order to now have fulfilling relationships because of this unknowing of true reality. So you need to eliminate the beliefs that you have, certain opinions, certain views that you have. If your mind experiences discontentedness, it's because of this ignorance. So that means your mind is holding on to certain things that are actually false and inaccurate. And there are certain things that you've learned that are beneficial and that are the truth. But there are certain things that your mind has that aren't true. Your mind's holding on to them. But because of the ego and the mind thinks that it's so vindicated, it's so right, it's so arrogant sometimes, the mind becomes boastful and thinking that you know more than other people in the world. Because of that ego, that arrogance, that pride, that boastfulness, the mind holds on to its false beliefs, its misperceptions, its false opinions about how the world functions around you. And now, as long as you hold on to that stuff, the mind can't get to wisdom because it thinks it already knows. So it's almost like blocking new wisdom from coming into the mind. So when the mind starts eliminating the arrogance or the conceit, which is one of those fetters that you learn about in the 10 fetters, you knock down that by seeking guidance with the teacher, that by reaching out to a teacher and asking for help and realizing that, hey, you don't know what you don't know. You're not a bad person, right? But every single being who's been born was unenlightened. We wouldn't be born if we weren't unenlightened. And when we were born, we had craving and we had this ignorance. And then ultimately we developed anger and hatred and ill will over the course of our life. And now with these poisons in the mind, the unenlightened mind is essentially trapped. It's hindered and it doesn't know how to get to this escape where it can escape out of this. And the only way to do that is to reach out and get help. So you use books, you use videos, you use podcasts, you come to classes like this, you seek guidance with a teacher through personal discussions, you do your meditations, you learn about the Eightfold Path and you implement more and more of those individual factors on the Eightfold Path. And as you dial this in closer and closer, you see the mind becomes more and more liberated because it's acquiring wisdom. You're not believing the teachings of the Buddha. You're learning them, you're reflecting on them to independently verify that they're true, and then you're practicing. And as you implement more and more of the teachings and the practice, you're uprooting these three poisons out of the mind. You're antidoting this. You're getting rid of these three unwholesome roots. You're extinguishing these fires by learning things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, 
the Brahma Viharas, the natural law of Gamma, the seven factors of enlightenment. You're involved in extensive meditation training. You're working to eliminate those 10 fetters. And as you dial this in more and more closely, as you go, you're incrementally, individually verifying each of the teachings. You're incrementally and gradually integrating the teachings into your life. You're gradually uprooting these poisons out of the mind. And as the poisons diminish, your discontentedness is diminishing as well. But the only way that that happens is through wisdom. As you arise wisdom in the mind about what craving and anger is and what those antidotes are, and you implement them, that's where you see the improvement to the mind. Where you gain the wisdom of the Eightfold Path and you implement that into your life more and more, then you'll be able to see that it's improving the condition of the mind, it's improving the condition of your life, you're seeing improvements in your personal and professional relationships, and this is helping you to get more and more awake. What it means to get awake is it means to cultivate wisdom. That's what the mind's awakening to. It's awakening to the wisdom of the natural laws of existence, namely the natural law of gamma. So you're awakening, you're gaining this wisdom of the natural law of gamma, just like you awakened to the natural law of gravity. You're awakening to the natural law of gamma and the natural laws of existence. And as you gain more and more wisdom, you're awakening to this wisdom that you didn't understand before, that the mind was ignorant or unknowing of true reality. It had confusion and misunderstanding. But as long as you hold on to your false beliefs and your misperceptions and certain opinions that are actually false about the world, certain misperceptions, you're going to continue to struggle. So you need to have an open mind and reach out and understand and ask questions. Read the book. Ask for personal guidance. Schedule appointments where you need to. Come to classes. Do the work in meditation. You need to be committed to doing the work to investigate the teachings of the Buddha because this is your journey to enlightenment. A teacher can't give you enlightenment. You need to do the work yourself through your own journey to arise this wisdom in the mind. And as you arise this wisdom and implement it in your life, this is where you see the improvement to your life. And then just to kind of summarize, and then I'll open up the questions about this unknowing of true reality and everything that we talked about today. What I discussed today in summary is these three poisons or three unwholesome roots or three fires. We talked about craving, anger, and ignorance or this unknowing of true reality and how some people refer to that as greed, hatred, and delusion or desire, ill will, and confusion. And then we talked about these antidotes or these wholesome roots, which is generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. Because as long as you're making decisions through selfish desires like cravings, as long as you're making decisions through your anger and those lesser versions like annoyance and agitation, and as long as you're making decisions through this ignorance or unknowing of true reality, you will make unwise decisions that produce unwholesome results. But when you arise generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom in the mind, now you'll make decisions through those that now you'll learn how to be generous, you'll learn how to be loving and kind, you'll learn how to have this wisdom and cultivate this wisdom, and now with you having transformed your mind, you will make wiser and wiser decisions that lead to 
wholesome outcomes. But as long as the mind is plagued with these poisons, you're going to be making selfish decisions. You're going to be making decisions through anger. You're going to be making decisions through ignorance and unknowing of true reality. And the only way for you to antidote that is to reach out for help through classes, books, videos, podcasts, personal guidance, discussions, things like that. Now you learn how to arise generosity, love, and kindness and wisdom. Because in these classes, I can teach the the teachings to a certain level of detail and then it's a matter of meeting with you privately as you choose to reach out for help and apply it to a specific situation whether you have teenagers that are challenged whether you have a life partner that you're having difficulties with whether you want to have a life partner and you don't have one or whether you've had arguments at work whether you're experiencing certain difficulties or struggles in your relationships with your parents or your your siblings or other people in your life you'll need to learn how to relate these teachings to your specific situation so that then i can show you exactly how to apply the Eightfold Path or these other things that you need to learn in order to apply it in your life. And as you arise more and more generosity, loving kindness and wisdom, you'll be eliminating and eradicating these three unwholesome roots, making decisions through the wholesome roots. And now, slowly but surely, discontentedness will gradually diminish. And then eventually, when all of this is uprooted out of the mind, you'll experience long term, one year, two years, three years, you haven't been angry at all. You haven't even been annoyed. Even the slightest little irritation isn't in the mind anymore. And you can see that occurring gradually as you're uprooting this more and more. The mind can move to this enlightened mental state where it's no longer experiencing any struggles or difficulties, but you have the wisdom that you need in order to conduct your life in a very harmonious way with all beings. So let me see what questions you guys have. This is everything that I was going to share with you today. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can electronically raise your hand in Zoom and I'll answer any questions that you like. There are no questions at the moment, sir. Okay. So I guess what I'll do then is just in class here by reminding you of what we're going to be teaching in the next classes. So in next Sunday's class, we're going to be in chapter nine, which is titled, What is Gamma and How Does It Affect Me? Some people refer to this as karma, which is the Sanskrit version. And the Pali language, which is the original source language that the Buddhist teachings are in, it's called Gamma, K-A-M-M-A. So people who study the original source teachings of the Buddha will tend to use this word Gamma instead of karma. And this isn't punishment and rewards. It's not a mystical, magical thing. I'm going to demystify this natural law of gamma for you to help you understand what it is. We're going to talk about wholesome gamma and unwholesome gamma. We're going to talk about new gamma and old gamma because you're going to need to know these four types of gamma in order to be able to move the mind to enlightenment. Because as I mentioned, what you're awakening to is the wisdom of the natural law of gamma. And you need to understand it in more detail. So next Sunday, I will help you to understand this inside and out and really helping you to get an understanding of what these four different types of gamma are. Then on Wednesday, we're going to start our rotating series of 
breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. You can attend live or you can attend by the replay because it's recorded in Facebook, YouTube, and on our podcast, where now we're going to come together in order to do breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, back and forth. Where the first part of this group learning program, I did a four-part series on breathing mindfulness meditation, a four-part series on loving kindness meditation, and then I did a four-part series on Buddhist chanting. So now we've moved through those. And now for the rest of the group learning program, I'm just going to be rotating between breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And this is a time for you to come together. You can encourage, support, and motivate each other by coming together live to do meditation together. And then I open up to any and all questions that you like. It's kind of like a miscellaneous question day. Whereas if you'd like to talk about anything and anything, you can ask those questions and I'll be sure that I answer those questions for you. Where you have really detailed questions about your personal life and certain things that you need help, you can ask those in an open class and there's kind of more time in a class like Wednesday to kind of dive into those kind of things. But oftentimes it's better to talk privately because then I can ask you a bunch of questions and get familiar with the situation before I help you with certain teachings of the Buddha to be able to help you with that. And if you're online, you can schedule these through our website at buddhadailywisdom.com. If you're here in Chiang Mai, you can just reach out to me and we can meet either at the temple or somewhere else, and I can help you face-to-face to be able to provide you any personal guidance. But it's up to you to decide to seek that guidance. So thank you all for joining for today's class. Remember, we've got Sunday classes and Wednesday classes. And then on Saturday, we have the Pali Canon and English Study Group that you're always welcome to join for that if you'd like as well. So thank you. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you in the future. Take care. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.